listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Third and final hour of Miller and Moulton in Lake City and surrounding areas, Tampa St. Pete, Port Charlotte to Venice, the bonus hour, an hour away in the 239, Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. Joining us now... Part of NBC Sports and the Golf Channel, he is Kurt Byram, NBC, the Golf Channel, Peacock, covering the Arnold Palmer Invitational from Bay Hill this week. 20 hours live tournament action beginning this afternoon, Golf Channel and Peacock at 2 o'clock. Mark, they're already underway at Bay Hill, and JT and Scheffler both birdied their first hole, tied for the lead early on. Kurt, it's David and Mark. Thanks for your time. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, listen, we're not saying this to placate you. We're thrilled because we booked this interview before the news yesterday from the PGA Tour. But obviously, you're a huge fan of the sport and of the tour. You comment and have for years on the tour. But you were also a player for over 15 years. You won on the tour and had huge years. And you had to grind to, you know, continue to make a living for some years. So everything that you bring to the table... When you look at what the PGA Tour is now doing, we're both very curious as to how you see it. I wish I was 25 again <laughs> <and> playing the tour. <laughs> I'll say that for sure. I mean, I think it's an amazing time to be, you know, one of the top players in the game and be young enough in your 20s like most of these top players are right now and have this future ahead of them. And I... I mean, with all the changes and the money that they're going to play for and the way that they're going to be able to, if you play well in these designated events, these guys are going to be able to stay in the top, you know, playing, you know, whatever, 30, 40 in the world, um, which guarantees them a spot in all these big tournaments for years and years to come. I mean, it's just an amazing future for these guys. And, you know, I think the tour in general has done kind of what they had to do. They started listening to the players and the players really got involved. They threw ideas around and I think in the end they, they you know they had to make some some tough calls on some of this stuff but I think they they did what they had to do as far as trying to keep the best players in the world on the PGA tour so I, I mean I, my take is it's a it's an amazing time for these guys and these top players I mean not not just the money the fact that they're going to get together like this week here at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and they're going to get together more often all of them all at once and go head to head against each other. I think great for all of us. Are you okay with these events not having cuts that we're going to have designated events with no cuts? One of the differences between live golf and the PGA tour was simply that obviously the 54 and 72 holes, but the cut after 36, do you think this affects the PGA tour negatively by not having cuts in these events? Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Actually. Um, I don't mind the reduced fields, but I think there has to be some sort of, you know, uh, if guys are playing and they're having a bad week, it, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter who you are. There should be some sort of cut in there. Just, you know, even if it's just 20 guys, you know, if you, you know, you play poorly and, and you shouldn't be playing the weekend, you should get cut. So I, I, I do, um, I do agree. I don't, I, I'm not a fan of that. I get the part where the sponsors are going to love it because they're guaranteed to have John Rahm and Roy McElroy, even if they have a bad week. They're not going to be. They're not going to be missing the cut down the road. So I get that. But 
yeah, bottom line is I, I'm going to miss the cut. I think there's some drama in that on Fridays, and I think that um, I think it's going to be missed personally. Are you okay with the other two dozen tournaments in a given year not being told they're special and potentially, I mean, you know, the top players, I mean, we've already got about 16 events that damn near all of them are going to be committed to. And we all know they don't play many more than 18 to 20. Mm -hmm. So are you okay with the rest of the tour kind of year to year and also the rest of the rank and file of the tour, the guys that fill out the 125 where they all stand in the new PGA Tour going forward? Well, I will say that, you know, if you're not one of those top 70 guys um, or top 50 or whatever, I think, you know, there is going to be a way to play your way out of the non-designated events and play your way into the designated events. There's going to there's gonna be some sort of formula. Let's say you play three tournaments, and if you're in the top five points, you get in the next designated event. Or, obviously, if you win one of the non-designated events, that's going to get you in the designated event. Um, the next one, I, I would think if you win, you're going to get in for the rest of the season in all the rest of the designated events. So there's a way to play your way, way into that. Um, and some, you know, I, so out, if you're outside the top 70, and in some ways, you know, Max Homa kind of touched on this yesterday in his interview. He said, you know, in some ways it might help some of those events where, if guys that are outside the top 70 are, they know they're not going to get in designated events, then they're going to play all of these non-designated events. And some of them, it's going to actually help their field. Um, so it's, uh, I think there's a ways to go. You know, I think we need to digest it and think about it for a while and, and sort through all the details. You know, probably have a meeting with the tour and have them, you know, explain some of this stuff, which I'm sure is coming, uh, the meeting, and, and um, so that we understand it a little bit you know, better, a little deeper, and so we can figure out, you know, to have a better take on it. Because it just happened yesterday. It all came out yesterday, and, you know, we're still all kind of sorting through it right now. No doubt, as they are at Bay Hill right now. Just curious, you know, this tournament, obviously, when Arnie was alive, was a big deal for everybody to stop. After Arnie's passing, it seemed that this tournament really needed the designated event stature because it was losing players. How when, when you're setting a schedule, how much is difficulty of the golf course prepared in there? Because the Honda and Bay Hill were having trouble because, well, these courses are damn hard, Kurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, two factors that always, you know, determine where these guys are going to play. And number one, it's do they like the golf course and have they played well there on the, in the past? And then the other one is where it falls on the schedule. Um, so, you know, to me, those are the two biggest factors. I don't think it's the. It all depends. You know, every player is different. I mean, you look at a guy like Scotty Scheffler, who won this tournament last year, and obviously won and won and won, won four times last year. He won at the Masters Player of the Year. He looks forward to really hard golf courses. Um, That suits his game. That suits his mentality. I I think the same thing for Rom as well. So. You know, it's so player-dependent. Other players, they like to play places where it turns into a putting contest and it takes 20-plus under to win. So I think it really depends on the player. But I, I, I think, you you know, you hit the nail on the head. After uh, Mr. Palmer died, I think the, the tournament waned a little bit. Some players were, whether it was schedule or the golf course, they were taking this week off. So um, this designation, the designated event this week has really helped them. And, 
an amazing field, as you guys know. You guys are deep into golf as well. And, but when you get nine out of the top ten in the world here, I think it's 23 out of the top 25 in the world are here this week, you got to admit that it's, it's going to be a heck of an event. No doubt. Kurt Byram will be a part of NBC, the Golf Channel, and Peacock's coverage, which begins at 2 o'clock today, 20 hours of live coverage right on through the weekend. You know, you mentioned Max Homa. Is he the fourth best golfer in the world right now? I mean, would it come down to if we're rounding out the foursome as to who are the top four? Obviously, it's Rom, it's Rory, it's Scheffler. Put them in whatever order you want. Is is it come down to Homa or JT? I mean, is he that elite now? Man, it's hard to argue that he's not, isn't it? I mean, he's he's done a lot of winning in the last two years. He's certainly playing his way into that if if you don't think he is yet the fourth best player in the world. But he's, you know, the one thing you got to love about Max Homa, and I think it makes him a better player, is he was down and out just three or four years ago where he, you know, he was out here, he lost his card, he couldn't make a cut. And he made some changes. He went to work. Mark Blackburn came into his camp and has really helped him with his swing and a a lot of different things. But uh, he's, I don't know, uh, just based on how he's played in the last two years and the wins that he keeps picking up and he's in contention, you know, again, seems like every week, I think you got to put him right there. Top five. We're not too far away from starting to talk majors. Is this year finally that Rory ends his drought with the majors and gets one of the four? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. I've never seen him more motivated. And the one thing that he was talking about, you know, um, just recently he went over in the Middle East and then he came back and played uh, both at Phoenix, at the WM Phoenix Open, and then again at Genesis. And during one of his interviews, you know, he, he's talking more confidently than it seems like forever. He, he said he's a more complete player than he's ever been right now. He feels like every part of his game is the best that it's been. So based on that, I think he's got a great chance to, to end that, that no win in the major streak here this year. I mean, that's, it's just, you guys, I mean, when you watch him play, it's just, it's mind-boggling when he's on how good he is, and you know the driver is such a weapon for him. And the one thing that you know that has really improved is his putting. He's not as streaky with the putter now. He's more consistently week in and week out a better putter than he's ever been. So I think that all points to a really good chance to win one this year. Well, remember, Kurt, when DJ had to channel it from 150 yards in and he got very consistent with his wedge and he got very solid with his putting. Rory, a couple years ago, was probably, you know, bottom five on tour from 150 yards and in. And whether it's working on the greens with Faxon or what have you, you know, he's now, you know, if he's middle of the pack from 150 and in, he can win every week. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's. No one's going to have more short irons into these greens than he is. And that's the thing. You know, he knows he's he's either the best driver of the ball, combining length and, and everything. He or Rom probably are the two best drivers in the game. And the one thing that those guys do is they, they use that weapon. They're aggressive off the tee. So, to your point, they're going to have a lot of short irons and wedges into par fours. They're going to be going for par fives that other players can't get to. Um and the wedge improvement is there as well. And, and that's kind of started around this time, maybe the Masters last year. He went to work and just, 
I think it was more just putting in the extra time dialing in his wedges. And, you know, DJ's a great example. DJ just, you know, those guys, the Harmons, just beat it over his head finally and made him start hitting wedges and working on distance control and trajectory. And we saw the results when that happened. And I think Rory's getting better and better. There's no doubt about it. Kurt, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Hopefully we can do this again down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Kurt Byram, NBC Golf Channel, Peacock, 20 hours of live coverage from Bay Hill. It starts at 2 o'clock today. And as he said, 9 of the top 10, 23 of the top 25. It's one of those designated events with a great field. It needed it. They were starting to lose players. It was actually a tournament that's really benefited from the full field events. Miller and Moulton, thanks so much for listening right here on the Florida Sports Network. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-one minutes past the hour. Show's just flown by today. A lot to kick around. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Great time of year. First Thursday in March. Got the Florida swing on the PGA Tour. NCAA tournament officially full field, you know, not the play-in under two weeks today. Orlando, by the way, one of the sites. We're five weeks away from the Masters. We're four weeks away today from the Major League Baseball season being underway. Don't know if you'll be able to see your team on opening day. Valley Sports Network may be dark, but the game will be played. Check your local listings. Boy, has that line ever been more appropriate than right now? Check your local listings to see whether or not you can watch your baseball team. Right. Man, oh, man. But it is a great time of year. A lot of things happened yesterday. One of the top five picks of the draft was charged with reckless driving and racing. He was booked. Nine hours ago, released 16 minutes later after he posted the bond. But Jalen Carter, how will this, if it will affect his draft stock or does talent rule the day? These are two misdemeanor charges for whatever that's worth. But if you were running the show for a team, you know, Seattle, Detroit, Vegas, Atlanta, Carolina, Philly. Those are the teams picking five through ten. He was not going to be available for any of those teams. And now the thought is he will be. Well, if you're one of those teams, and Mark in particular, Seattle, Detroit at five and six, and Philly at ten. You got two first-round picks. Now, normally, you play it safe with the first one, and maybe you roll the dice a little bit with the second one. Do you switch that up? 100%. If a guy who was maybe the best player in the draft falls to you at 5, 6, 10, you take said player. Listen, I would take him in the top 10. All right? I am not trying to minimalize in any way what he did. What he did was stupid. Uh, foolish, reckless, okay? I 
I think we all, if in, I mean, he apparently was racing the car next to him, which had four people in it. They were racing at two o'clock in the morning. We're pretty sure drinking was involved, although he, we don't know if he was driving the car, but we're led to believe that he was driving the one car. He was not tested for a blood alcohol level at the scene because he wasn't at the scene when they got there for the crash. He came back, I believe. But the driver of the other car had a blood alcohol level of nearly 0.2. So it would be unusual. They were together. You know, one car had been drinking, the other car hadn't. But does this, does any and all of this factor in at all as to whether or not you are going to draft this young man? And history shows us that it could, shouldn't affect first round status, but it may affect top five status. And we've seen it plenty of times. Once a guy starts dropping, they all kind of start elbowing each other going, well, man, so-and-so didn't take him. Maybe we should stay away because we never thought they'd pass on him. And now next thing you know, guys, you know, falling, falling, falling. You look back years later and you go, what the heck was everybody thinking? But so you got that story that what'd you think of the NFL PA release? First off, doing the survey in which they asked their players eight different categories. All right. Eight different categories. They wanted answers to the NFL PA survey. All right. Treatment of players, families, food service, nutrition, weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, and team travel. And basically, they said, give your team a grade, A through F. And you can give them an A plus, you can give them an F minus if you want. Go nuts. What do you think of it? And the interesting part is obviously it's out right before free agency, but teams that are at the bottom of the list, well, they win because the Chiefs were ranked 29th. (laughs) Right. The Patriots were ranked 24th. The Bengals were ranked 27th. At the top of the list, the Vikings, Dolphins, Raiders, Texans. Hello. And Cowboys, for that matter. They don't win. I don't know why I stopped at four and tried to treat the Dallas Cowboys like they're an elite franchise in the league. They're not. 2,200 players. The survey was sent to 2,200 of them. 1,300 of them responded. So that's about 60%. Is that enough for you to feel good about the results? You go, yeah, I could let 1,300 responses. I think it's really strong in any survey to get that type of response. Now, obviously, you divvy it up by team. If you're getting 60% on every team, and not, you know, I'm assuming that's counting also the 16-member practice squad. So 53 and 16, that's 69. So roughly 70 guys a team. You go 70 times 32, that's 2240. So I, that's a fair number. So 70 guys on each team, they got 40 to 45 responses back. I think that's pretty darn good, knowing how many surveys you and I would fill out. of. Well, I don't know. Would you fill out any of these surveys given to you? Would you fill out all of them? Absolutely, I would. Yes. Now, 
I am not one of those on the phone in which they go, would you stand by for another two, three minutes and do a survey? No. Mm -mm. No. But if you send it to me, absolutely. Well, that's true because it comes in the mail, which is going to make you excited that something came in the mail. And Well, yes. I mean, if they actually mail it to me. My goodness, if there was a self-addressed stamped envelope in the thing, then that would be all over. I mean, I might get in the car and drive my response back to the league office. Yes, I'd be so excited. But, you know, if you send me a link or what have you, you know, then I would just, yes. But, no, stay on the phone. I'm what? No, absolutely. Hit no every time. No, no. Two minutes, three minutes. No, absolutely not. First off, I know you're lying. The only chance you have to get me on the phone is every now and then you get the one or two question response. Will you answer a question about your service today? Oh, yeah. Fine. I'll give you a question. David, I'm so with you. I don't think I've ever stayed on the phone for the survey, but yet I was just sent a survey. I played in a golf tournament over the weekend. They sent a survey Sunday night to have us grade all of it. Couldn't fill it out fast enough. There you go. And and are you going to drive it back? I mean, you live right around the corner it was, from it. It was emailed. It was all done. It was all oh. it, bing, bang, boom, done. Please, I'd be so excited. I might have printed it out and driven it back. I'd want a hard copy and everything. Look at this. Survey golf tournament. It's outstanding. Let them know the lettuce needs improvement on the BLT. You know, that's a highly underrated sandwich. I don't think the BLT gets nearly the credit it deserves. You know, we haven't and probably and probably because people don't like tomatoes. Fine. How about this? PB and J BLT. You had to choose one. Oh, that's tough. That's why I threw it out there. One has bacon. This is a really easy answer. Yeah, I think I'm going BLT. (laughs) I'm going BLT. Oh, I don't know. But have you ever had a grilled PB and J? Mmm. I don't know. And I grilled. Yeah. Why would? Hmm. I think I might go PBJ, believe it or not. Because here's the other thing. How many BLTs can you eat in one sitting? One. Like I could do I could do two, okay? You know how many PB&Js I could eat in one 11. sitting? 11. Easily. Over, under, seven and a half. Absolutely. I know which way I'm voting. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-two minutes before the hour is up, Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, Florida Sports Network dot com. You miss any part of the show? Whether it was talking to Dalton Miller, Pro Football Network, one hour ago, or talking to Kurt Byram, NBC and the Golf Channel at the top of this hour. Download what you missed. Our podcast posted every hour. FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Hey, uh, just, you know, we'll put our two cents in here. Do you like what the PJ Tour is doing? Or do you think that this is completely reactionary and this is a big mistake? 
Well, it is completely reactionary. I don't know if it's a big mistake because the idea of putting, there's only so much viewing time out there for the American public. And even the biggest golf fan, and I'm around golf people every day, Uh they still don't watch every tournament. Even the golf fan picks and chooses what they watch on the weekends, particularly this time of year when there's a lot going on. Right. So I see both sides of it. I don't like, the only thing I don't like about it is the no cuts in the events, in the elevated events. I still think there should be a cut. Other than that, the have-nots really have plenty of opportunity. You know, the more I think about it, what Rory did say is right. If the top golfers are going to limit themselves to the majors, the four elevated events, the players. Well, it's eight elevated elevate events. Eight elevated events. Okay, so you got the four majors. Major, and then you got four majors. You got the players. And then you have the three WGC events. So that that's 16 tournaments right there. That in theory, and by the way, the one thing the tour did in this, and I don't know that they officially came out with this yesterday, but they, it was in the memo that was sent internally, is remember when Monaghan late last year said that playing in these elevated events was mandatory? And I haven't watched the Netflix documentary, but apparently some of the players were even like mandatory. Yeah, they didn't make much of it, to be really honest. Okay. Well, he apparently the PGA Tour has said these events are not mandatory. But the thought being, okay, since we're offering far and away the most money at these events, you're probably going to play in them. But it gives the have-nots plenty of opportunities to become haves. Win an event that's not out there, you're but then you add the FedEx Cup events into it. You know, the top players aren't playing in any of these non-elevated events. Very few. One or two. You you made mention of how many events they normally play in. You're not going to see the best players hardly at all unless they have some sponsor ties to these events. And what the determining factor will be is do these non-elevated events get completely dusted off in the ratings? But if golf fans still watches at the rate that they watch, then this will be a win for the PGA Tour. I'll say this. I think in the spring and early summer last year that the PGA Tour was huffing and puffing and whining a lot. But they weren't doing anything to change anything. They've done a lot of things in the last six months to change things. And I do think now they have turned the golf world around on to the LIV. I mean, when I was watching the LIV on Sunday and none of their big names were contending, well, then I started deciding, do I like these announcers? Do I like this coverage? You know, is this TV screen too busy? I mean, the constant scores, the whole left side of the screen, you got the team scores along with the individual scores, and it seems like it's constantly changing. I mean, it wasn't quite watching a business channel with the stock scrolling on the bottom, but it was busy. Much busier than a normal golf screen. And I even found myself going, man, I don't, I don't know if I like this. And I could see Mark actually right now. I know that 
people running the LIV, they got all the money in the world. They could run this sucker for the next 50 years. But I am sitting here thinking, how are they going to make it? If their top players are not on the first page of the leaderboard and or winning majors so that we're going, you know, hey, the best players in the world aren't playing on the PGA Tour. They're playing on the LIV. Unless that were to start to happen, which it's nowhere close to happening right now, I mean, I don't want to say the LIV is in trouble because they have more money than the PGA Tour, but at some point, how are they going to make it, if you know what I mean? And can you run a worldwide tour where you're a joke in the United States? Because they actually have some regard elsewhere in the world. I mean, they really do. Other, you know, Asian countries and what have you like the fact there's an Asian team and there's a South African team. And, you know, there's other parts of the world that love this concept. They've done it in other sports like cricket, which is very popular where the rest of the world, not in the States. But can that tour thrive if it's making headway everywhere but here? Team golf can never thrive. Team sports and individual team events and individual sports will never thrive unless there's a country's name behind them. You know, tennis tried this three, four decades ago or three decades ago with the world team tennis. It failed miserably. We're not interested in watching team events for individual sports. We want to watch individual greatness. I mean, my goodness, you know, the NBA, a team sport, thrives on their individuals. I'm not watching golf to watch the no birdies or the no bogeys club beat the range goats. It sounds like someone's playing Dungeons and Dragons for crying out loud and not golf. I agree with that. I, I hate the team names. First off, I would have just called it Team Mickelson, Team DeChambeau. That's the first thing I would do. Now, what they're trying to entice these golfers with is, hey, you can sell your team. You can go and get Honda to sponsor your team, change it to Honda, wear Honda shirts, the whole deal. Well, that's the NASCARization of it, if you will. I actually think, okay, uh, we're okay with that. But... I mean, I said it earlier. I do think the PGA Tour, they complained and they moaned for the first four months that the LIV was putting their tour together. And they did nothing but whine and complain. Since then, though, they've made a lot of changes. And where we thought six months ago that the LIV actually had an advantage or two, now, you tell me one thing the LIV has that the PGA Tour doesn't. That if you were running the PGA Tour, you'd be like, yeah, I wish we did that. I, I can't find one. And would you agree with my theory that eight, nine months ago, the thought was there are a few things that the LIV is doing that the PGA Tour should really do? Well, and, and, they, and the PGA Tour was... 
void of leadership through all of this. The, the why they were complaining is that Monahan poo-pooed the whole league and acted like it wasn't even going on, and it took the players to rise up and bail out their commissioner. I mean, if there's ever been more of a figurehead running a sporting league, I'll find me one. Well, that's not true. Mark Emmert ran the NCAA for years. I apologize. Outside of the NCAA, if there's ever been more of a figurehead running a tour, let me know, or a league. But Tiger and Rory took control of the tour, and they've made some changes. Now, you can't say it because he's a turd now. You know, he's a punchline. But once again, Phil was right. I know he's a bad dude now, okay? He's never going to get his reputation back. One of the 10, certainly one of the 15 greatest golfers of all time. Nope, he's a piece of blank now. I get it. But if you go back and all the things that Phil was talking about, they're doing them all. Live Golf couldn't wait 30 seconds to tweet out imitation is the greatest form of flattery yesterday. But the problem for Live Golf is if that is in fact true, they got you then. You know, how do you counteract what they've done? The only way, and it's not going to happen because the PGA Tour won't do it, is you've got to challenge them to some sort of plane. And the PGA Tour will just laugh. But two, three, four years down the road, if they keep going, maybe that's something that can happen, David. Mark, unless the top players on the LIV tour win the majors this year, you know, Cam Smith, DJ, you know, there's a lot, there's like what, seven former masters champions on the LIV tour. I mean, there are guys there who can play that course. Well, that's where it's at. If live golf could somehow win at Augusta, that would change everything. But outside of winning a major, David, how does live golf rise up back to where the PGA Tour is? I don't know. Well, how do they even regain some traction if you thought they had it? And it you is know, it is the most hated league of all time. You know, I mentioned oh it just in, just in line at Costco, talking to someone else, and live golf came up. The guy in front of me says, "Ah, good for them. They don't deserve anything." I didn't ask that guy his opinion, but he had no problem giving it to me. And he didn't know who I was. <laughs> that guy didn't know I host a radio show. I was just talking to someone. We were talking golf. He listened to our conversation and thought when the other guy left, I can jump in this conversation. I have to admit, I like him. Never met him. Don't know who he is, but I like him. I did too. I mean, if you're running that tour now, you know, could things, could the start of 2023 have gone worse? People are, I mean, it's one thing for them to mock you. They were mocking you last year when you were plucking away top player here, top player there, the whole deal. And then you plucked away the guy who won the players and won the open championship. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If Cam Smith hadn't defected for the LIV, he might've won player of the year. But once he the word was out he was defecting, they were voting for Scheffler. But, I mean, honestly, what's there? Because if you think about what they've done, Mark, in nine months, it's actually extraordinary. 
We've never seen a league go in nine, 10 months, start up, take on a major U.S. pro sports league in nine months and actually do what they've done. It's actually extraordinary, yet it feels like a failure. And how does it ever become successful? I really don't know without them selling the league and then there's no money behind it how it becomes successful because the public opinion has been created and it ain't changing to find anybody out there. That's a live golf guy before they're a PGA tour guy would be next to impossible unless they're related to Patrick Reed. (laughs) Johnny Mac did say in our Twitch chat room, the sky would be falling if Reed won the masters again. Oh my goodness. If an LIV guy can win the Masters, oh, it's on. And for my entertainment purposes, I hope four or five of them play really well. I hope that Rory has to play with Sergio on Saturday. (laughs) I mean, one, I love the game and I love the mental part of it. But then when you add an outside part that's going to get into your head, and to see how these guys will react with their playing partners, I think it makes for more entertainment. And I'd love to see the Live Golf guys have a good Masters. Want to see how the announcers handle it? But if they don't, but if they don't, I mean, honestly, I mean, even if they win in court going forward, which isn't going to be for another year, even if they get their world golf ranking points and, you know, guys are allowed to play on the DP world tour and who knows, maybe the PGA tour will be forced to take some of them back. Even if they win in court, you know, six months ago, I thought I saw a way that they could have success. I'm having trouble seeing that now. As am I. And even if they win their lawsuit, by the time they win their lawsuit against the PGA Tour, I don't know. These guys will have lost all their status on the PGA Tour. Well, and not only that, some of their contracts will be expiring. I mean, the DJs and Kepkas of the world may actually be going, hey, it's good that we won the lawsuit because I'd like to come back. And now you guys can legally take me back. Would you take me? And Spieth and JT and them, I mean, they all but said we'd take DJ back yesterday. Miller and Moulton, thanks for listening. Florida Sports Network.